Thank you, Bob. Uh, I'll first say you did a great job. Thank you very much. Coming from you, that means a lot. Well, it could have gone very bad. <laughs> but it didn't as much. It's Star Tours on steroids at a level you can't possibly believe. And uh, I'd also like to thank all the Imagineers who and others here that made this thing possible because it's it's the first time that, because I worked with the Imagineers a long time ago, and we did, you know, everything was like it was in the olden days, where it was very hard to do anything. So now the technology is here. This thing is amazing. It's really something that you couldn't even dream about 20 years ago. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it was a great experience for me, and uh, I think that we'll... Uh, uh, you'll change your life. <laughs> Thank you. points this is jason and this is gabe and this is tom spina <laughs> um, and today we have an extra special guest not just me as the special guest <laughs> you're just extra now i don't even know if you're special at this point <laughs> that's okay <yeah. laughs> uh, the, okay so and and this is third wheel tom spina um and uh but today we have a wonderful thing to balance out the show a fourth wheel my friend one of my favorite people around one of the most creative people i know and someone who has i think possibly the most star wars vision within his blood and that is uh my friend eric baker hey guys how's it going it's going good man thank you so much for joining us I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> How are you tonight? I am doing great. I'm doing great. I'm in Florida on the Space Coast waiting to see a big rocket launch, hopefully on Monday, Artemis, uh, headed to the moon. Uh, so, you know, just in, enjoying uh, the way our future is headed right now, I think, hopefully. That's amazing. It's like it is legitimately a retro future right now with with rocket to the moon happening um, to to coin a a Disney parks phrase there too. Absolutely. Um, and I'll, I'll not to take over the show here, but I will say so. The reason I I mentioned Disney parks uh, for folks who don't know 
uh, Eric or the or or his work. Uh, I think you know, we can kind of tell folks the the sort of Star Wars connection there. But then I think we'll it'd be great to go back and maybe trace a little of your career. So how would Star Wars folks have seen your work at this point? Well, they may have been to the largest land expansion that Disney's ever done before, a little place called Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, uh, either on the East Coast or the West Coast. Um, I was one of the people crazy enough to say, yes, I can do both of those at the same time. <laughs> um, I'll never do that again. <laughs> but, but that, yeah, you may know me from those or, you know, a, a little uh, place called the Wizarding World of Harry Potter at the Universal Studios parts. You may have seen some of my work there. Uh, and then before that, I spent, gosh, uh, probably 15 or 20 years in the film and television industry and worked with everybody from Kermit the Frog to Tom Hanks, pretty much. I rate one of those higher than the other. <laughs> But they're both amazing. I mean, like those are both top, but like one is one is a little higher. Let's be honest. You know? it's, it's up to the listeners to guess who. That's right. Yeah, definitely. They're 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 very similar personalities, and and both both super great folks to know. You know, uh, really great people to hang around and talk with. You know, you you and I kind of share a bit of that puppetry background. I I, I find there's there's a lot of Really great folks that came through that um, that that section of the entertainment industry. Um, it, it never ceases to amaze me when I meet other people that got their start in puppets. It's just kind of like, oh, that explains why you're like, that's why I like you. You're a nice person. I get that now. <laughs> I think we didn't even hit on that until after we had known each other for a bit, too. And it was just like, oh, wait, you did that, too. I started making, you know, puppet connections like like Rick Lyon. I used to be his right-hand puppeteer. Whenever he would come to Florida to work on anything, I would be Rick's right-hand person. You know Craig Shimon uh, with the Muppets, right? Of oh, course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I worked with Craig on many of the shows here and got to be good friends with he and, and Stephanie, his wife. And uh, where else did we have a connection? Well, Adam Savage. I worked on... Uh, I did a television commercial for Nike a hundred years ago when I was very young with Adam. Actually, Adam was too. It was way before Mythbusters. And uh, it's funny, I actually didn't, I didn't remember Adam initially from the shoot. I remembered Jamie because of the mustache and the beret and everything way back in the early nineties. I guess that was still his thing, but, but I didn't really remember Adam until I saw Mythbusters and the puppet that we'd used in the commercial was in the background. I was like, Oh my God! <laughs> what I, I, by the way, for anyone out there, when he says he was Rick Lyon's right hand man, he means not like he was his helper or anything. Like he literally was doing the right hand of the puppet yeah. while while Rick was doing the left hand and the head. Yeah. You know, it's like when they do a live hands puppet on the Muppets or or whatever. It, it, it's one of those phrases that just you know could have just gone by, but I'm not going to let that sit there. I mean, there, and it's funny. There, there's been a very few things in the entertainment industry that really just blew my mind and, and uh, really just left me speechless. But like one of them was we were doing, uh, I did a, a made for TV movie with the Muppets uh, called Kermit Swamp Years. And uh, we were shooting a scene with Kermit and, and Steve Whitmire called me over and he said, Hey, do Kermit's right hand for me. I'm like, oh. you know, I, I was, I was, Petrified. I'm like, oh my God, I get to puppeteer Kermit the Frog's right hand. This is 
the highlight of my career, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's all down here from hill. Uh, it's all downhill from here, boys. <laughs> or downhill from here, whatever, yeah. You know, I find it's a lot easier to be nice to people. And this is something that goes back to Jim Henson, you know. Everyone that, unfortunately, I never met Jim. Uh, he passed away before I started working with the Muppets. But everybody that I talked to that met Jim always said he was kind. And that was the word that they used always. And I've always found it's, it's so much easier in life to be kind to people than to, to be an ass, you know. <laughs> it's like... I mean, why why be mean to people? You know, it's be nice to everybody. The, the you know, it's funny when I started. There was about two or three years after he had passed away, and it was the same thing. And it was like that kindness and that presence was still hanging over everything, and it still permeated everybody that was at Sesame. You know, on the on the Muppet side of things, I, honestly, the whole crew at Sesame, and you know, the folks in the workshop, the folks in the in the townhouse. I mean. I, I was just a lowly intern there, but everybody was very kind. Um, and it, uh, that's that's clearly came from him. And I came in just on the tail end of that after after the German company had owned them and then the family bought them back. So that's kind of when I was involved. And then they went back to Disney or went to Disney officially. And, uh, and so, you know, when they went to Disney officially, it's kind of, when I fell out of the picture. Funny thing, though, uh, going way back in my career to when I first graduated from college, I was one of the first Sweetums that helped open Muppet 3D, the, the live Sweetums character that comes out. Oh, my God. So I played, I played Sweetums for a very brief week uh, before I broke into the film industry and and jumped ship and, and went to the film industry. But yeah, for a week. Just walk around like, Jack not name, Jack job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, that's that's a pretty cherry gig. I mean, I don't know. If I'm acting as Sweetums, it'd be tough for like, if somebody's like, hey, kid, you want to work in the film business? And I'm just like, but I'm already Sweetums, you know? <laughs> Uh, all right so blast points has now been taken over by myself and eric we thank you all for watching from now on it'll just be us trading muppet movie quotes for the rest of the show it's all working like we planned it's no no problem <laughs> i i figured this out a while ago jason and gabe only bring me on when they're tired and they need a break because they're like just wind up spina let him talk for a bit and then i we don't even have to do anything this is perfect you know, put us together. I mean, this is just like when we talk on the phone. It's like it just goes on and on and on, and we just babble about crazy stuff forever. So the one I'll just say this: I'll bring us back to Star Wars a little bit. Um, uh, I got to know Eric initially. I, how did I'm not even sure how you guys. So you guys reached out to us at some point. Yeah, I'm not. Sh God, I can't even remember. I imagine someone at Lucasfilm must have given me your name. Probably because someone, yeah, someone's in here called Tom Spina because we were looking for someone to make Cantina band instruments because at the time we were going to have a, one of the booths was going to be a, a guy that sold band instruments or actually no outside of the lightsaber. That's right. Yeah, it was the the secret entrance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Outside of Savi's place, it was supposed to be undercovers, a musical instrument place, and and so we needed to reproduce all the Cantina band instruments. And and I think it was the archives probably that told me to give you a call because I was dealing with them because when we went up and did a photo shoot with all the the Cantina band instruments that they had still, 
I mean, remember, I don't know if you remember this, Tom, when you and I, we were looking at one of the horns and realized that one of the pieces on it was a Kenner Rebel Snow Trooper backpack. That's right. From the mail thing. And we were both just like, oh, my God. Yeah, like, how did we not figure this out? So that really is... The that is like my defining memory of like like the <laughs> defining moment of Eric and I. It's just one of those like, you know, anytime I think about him, like that's when I knew like he was us. You know, it's like we looked at this thing. It's the Rodian horn from uh from the Jabba's Palace special edition. And we're looking at it, and there's a Greebly, and we had had a machine shop to it because he wanted initially it was gonna be semi-outdoors, so we were trying to do everything in metal. And at this point, they had changed over, and now they were going to be inside, so we could do resin parts. And we looked back at it, and you were like, the machine greedily didn't have these little hoses. or and, and you were just like, could we get some hoses? And we both were just like, oh, my God. Like, how did we not notice this? It's, it is uh, it's the mail-away, the little white rebel backpack with the straps. And the top half of it is on one part of the, uh, the, the horn, and the bottom half of it is on another part. And we went back to my house. We got one of them. We brought it into the shop, molded it, and put them on the horn. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be one of the best feeling. They're one of the most rewarding things when you're working on a Star Wars project like that is to figure out what something is that, that you've, you've never known before yeah. and to find something like that. And go, oh, wow, that's what it is, you know. Right. It's like somebody called parts of Star Wars. We figured one out. <laughs> I know. You know, actually, parts of that may have been Chris Reef may have sent me to you. Oh, that could be. Yeah, I've, I've, so it may have been Chris because he was working with us on the droids. That makes sense. I've yeah, I've known him since oh gosh, late nineties. Him and Chris uh, Chris Travis, uh, guys who who have if you if folks out there don't know the parts of Star Wars, look up parts of Star Wars. Uh, I think it's parts of SW dot com, um, and they have tracked down what every original trilogy prop was made from. And like, it's amazing the stuff they figured out. A lot of it came through the RPF and group effort and stuff like that. But these guys really dedicated themselves to cataloging this stuff and putting it on their outline online and out there for folks so that you can make your replicas and stuff. It's, Oh man, I obsess about that stuff. It's fine. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on their Facebook page. And so every once in a while, they'll put a blast out when they find something new that everybody's just looking for forever. So it's like I screenshot every one of those. I've got a folder full of, <laughs> of their stuff that I've saved for the future. You know? Yeah. Well, you never know when I might need to know what that was made from. <laughs> I know, I know. We're we're in the middle of we're uh, we're doing replicas of all the Return of the Jedi maquettes, and um, we have been in this process of figuring out who sculpted each, and talking with all the different people that worked on Phil Tippett's creature crew, and like finding out which is which. And it's just one of these projects. I've got a big, uh, uh, like PowerPoint with images of each and notes about each. Like so and so said, this could have been this one. This one said they could have been that one. And like, we've just been going down and checking them off. And it's like such a good feeling when you can get an ID, when someone's like, oh yeah, that was definitely mine. You could, yes, I get to put it on the Dave Carson page, you know, or whatever. It's just, oh, it's, it's been so fun diving into all of that stuff. Well, I mean, anytime you get to go to the archives is, is a treat, you know? Oh my God. Yeah. I only got to go twice during Galaxy's Edge and, and. And that's almost the high point of my life. We'll get to well, actually, yeah, we'll get to the the real high point later. But uh, but yeah, I mean, that was when when 
when they said, um, do you want to stay at the ranch or are you just visiting? Nah, I want to stay, of course. You don't say no to that. Yeah, exactly. Wait, wait, twist my arm. No, the, the in there is just amazing. I stayed in the uh, in the Orson Welles room. Which oh, was, gosh. Uh, amazing. We've, uh, the last couple of times, it's been the John Ford apartment. And it's, it's, um, uh, it's it really is, it's crazy. It's like. You just pinch yourself like that you're there and and then, you know, like, oh, we're going to go to the archives for a couple of days and work on stuff and scan things. And it's like, why? Why am I allowed here? Someone should have, you know, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're going to stop me at the gate, you know, (laughs) like every time. Sounds horrible, guys. Yeah. You guys would hate it. Uh, No, no. That's (laughs) like. (laughs) It's okay. Yeah. I don't want to go anyways. It's fine. There's cows everywhere, and, you know, you don't want to go. Oh, so, uh, okay, step two, alienate the hosts. <laughs> Got it. And we're on our way. <laughs> I, it is a thing, though, that I think a lot of Star Wars fans kind of wonder about that experience. And it's like, it's hard not to make it sound braggy, but it's like, it genuinely is a feeling of, like, I'm not worthy or, like, a, a like you know, imposter syndrome, whatever you want to call it. Like, you genuinely feel every time you come up to the gate, like, okay, this is the time they're going to say, nope, not this time. Sorry, turn around. <laughs> you know? I know, I know. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I tell everybody, it's like walking through there, it's like I'm with my best friends from my childhood, everything in there. You know, I'm walking around, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, there's Howard the Duck. Boy, he didn't age well. You know, it's just, you know, they're the chalice from Rangers of the Lost Ark. Uh, uh, you know, just everything. The, yeah. the idol with the eyes that move, everything. You're going, the, oh. the saber with the scotch light on it for the from the reflective light tricks. <laughs> like, oh, how is this in front of me? Yeah. I, do you ever want to just go up to the big size noodles and just go like, wow, wow. What do you do? Well, it's like, I told you, I listened to the episode where you guys discussed the creatures of Jabba's Palace. And I totally had the theme song from Star Wars to Jedi playing in my mind as I was walking through there. And you guys brought that up when you were, I mean, you were humming it, I think, Tom, or the background music from that when they're, when they're showing the maquettes and, uh, I was just I, I, every time I go that that was totally going through my mind. Uh, and it's crazy. Like it really feels like it. Like I think the way you said, like it's like visiting old like friends. Is yeah, it's weirdly familiar. I don't know. I almost liken it to like you know meeting the Beatles or something. In a sense, you're starstruck, but it is such a fabric of your life that it's it is weirdly familiar and comfortable at the same time. Um, Wait, so, so how many Beatles have you met? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's for another show. I, uh, uh, to be clear, no Beatles. Right? <laughs> this is where Eric comes in and he's like, Rinko's staying in the other room and just puts us all to shame, you know? <laughs> there was Mickey and Davey and Peter and... I got to tell you, in a weird way, I would almost, I don't know if I would rather meet the monkeys, but meeting the monkeys would be just as good. <laughs> um, 
So similar to the archive experience, though, and I don't know if, if you know if you feel I'm jumping ahead of anything here, Eric, in terms of the the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge story. I'd love to hear a little bit of the the start of it for you and getting into it. But I'm just going to say I actually had a similar feeling from as as when I went to the archives from the times I visited your studio and warehouse for Galaxy's Edge because going through there was i it might have it 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 was a slightly different feeling because i i mean i love going to any shop i'm so turned on by the creativity of people making stuff and and that whole aspect of it and but going through and seeing you know guys doing amazing distressing on stuff people doing you know fabricating stuff out of out of junk and garbage and all of the parts that you had huddled away to make things out of and and that 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 it was mixing practical and digital with some three d printing and uh just the energy and the vibe of the place it was something and and you know tons of eye candy of course uh by which I mean you know Eric's nice to look at but the <laughs> you know, is filled with just cool star wars junk everywhere and it really was it was a special experience and every time I was very very happy that I got to go through there. Well, I mean, we had such an amazing crew on that. And I, you know, I handpicked everyone that was working with us. And I mean, from our scenic painters to our prop fabricators, I mean, I would have, it would have made an incredible reality show to just, to just put a camera in there and record these guys every day because it was, it was everybody having the best time in their life for four years. We just went crazy. And, uh, you know, when I first got hired, it was really funny. Um, I got a call from Disney, and they said, hey, we're looking for someone that can do what you can do. And I, I said, okay. I said, are you looking for someone? Because I, I knew that they had Star Wars. I said, okay, so are you looking for someone that can do what I can do on Star Wars? And they said, um, we'll get back to you. And they just hung out. <laughs> <laughs> Say at that time, they, I wasn't supposed to know that they were working on Star Wars Land. Right. I mean, everything is so super top secret in the, just like in the theme park industry, just the way it is in the film industry. But so I didn't hear anything for for six months. I was like, oh my god, I completely blew it. And, and six months later, the phone rings, and I pick up, and the lady goes, "It's Star Wars." She picked up right where we left off. <laughs> <laughs> we stopped talking. I was like. Okay, well, I can do what I can do if it's Star Wars. Uh, and at the time, I was I was working for Universal Studios, and uh, so it was really hard to leave there. I, I had done, you know, four Wizarding Worlds of Harry Potter at the time, which were you know amazingly successful. We changed the face of the theme park industry uh, with what we did with Harry Potter, as far as creating immersive worlds. But Star Wars was Star Wars was my Harry Potter, and I cannot. I couldn't pass that up. I mean, I had to do it. And of course, the first thing I told them is, you know, in order for me to do this properly, I've got to go to the film set, you know, (laughs) (laughs) as soon as they hired me, the first thing I did was got on a plane and and flew to England and uh, went to Pinewood studios. At the time they were filming episode eight, I, I walk in Pinewood. I've got several Disney, like top Disney execs with me. We walk in, the first thing they do, well, first of all, we walk into the art department, 
And I immediately know everybody there because everybody that worked on the Harry Potter movies was now the art department on Star Wars. <laughs> I'm like, hey guys, it's like, you know, we all, we've known each other for 10 years already. And so, you know, I'm like, oh, well, where's, you know, hey Gary, how's it going? Gary Tompkins, whose dad, you know, designed the snow speeder, Empire Strikes Back, is now working on the Star Wars films. And I mean, just everybody in the room I knew, I said, you know, is Pierre here? Pierre was the guy who built all the, Pierre Bohan, I built all the props for Harry Potter. He was the, the prop lead prop guy and uh, or prop fabricator. And they said, oh, yeah, Pierre's here. He's down building, you know, stormtroopers and droids. I'm like, oh, my God. It's like, These people are blowing my mind. So anyway, I met, ran into everybody that I knew, had my homecoming from Harry Potter, and then they immediately take us out to the set of the Millennium Falcon and walk me up into the set, which it's hard to even talk about it. But, you know, you walk up the ramp, into the there's a chess room and everything and then you walk down the corridor into the cockpit and there's Harrison Ford's seat and they said sit in it it's all I could do to not cry or scream or something you know it's just like I mean, I'm trying to hold it together in front of these Disney executives I'm just going somebody please take a picture of this somebody please take it because of course you know they don't allow us to take any photos of anything so someone took a picture at Lucasfilm, and it's out there somewhere. I've never got a copy of it, but, but if anyone's listening at Lucasfilm, please send me the picture of me sitting in Harrison Ford's seat. Uh, they, they did send me a lot of the photos because I went. I, I you know made subsequent trips back. I, I went for. Uh, I was there for part of Rogue One. I was. I went to the Solo set twice, and. Uh, so I got I got photos from all those, you know, I got pictures of me standing next to Solo Speeder and uh, I was actually I got to sit in the A-wing uh, the day after um the the princes from England got to sit in it. They were there the day before me. Uh so they had all the there were the all these photos all over the news of them sitting in an A-wing and I got to sit in it the next day. And now you're stuck with sloppy seconds. Okay, you know. <laughs> You know, one of the one of the coolest things for me though is I got to take my on one of our trips. We did a shopping trip to England, and uh, we hired one of the shoppers from the Star Wars films, and she took us to everywhere where they buy all the cool stuff over in England. And I mean, for two weeks we traveled all over England shopping. That that was one of the coolest experiences in the world. We would take a train for two hours outside of London, then you would get in a car and drive for another hour. And then suddenly there would be a cow pasture and a 747 sitting in the cow pasture. <laughs> and they would drive up and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, this is where we buy our aircraft parts. And there's a guy stripping a 747 of parts in the middle of a cow pasture in England, you know. Um, and, you you know, we go inside the 747 that they're stripping. And I'm kind of chatting with the guy. And I said, you know, because they they'd gutted the whole inside of the 747. So all you could see was the miles and miles of wiring that run underneath everything that you don't see when you're, you know, sitting inside of an aircraft. And, you know, I said, yeah, about how many miles of wire are inside of a 747? And the guy goes, oh, about 50 miles of wire in a 747. I said, I'll take it all, put it in a crate, ship it back. <laughs> So we we use it all over Galaxy's Edge, and there there's so much. It, it was just such a great. Every day was such a great shopping trip. We we went to places 
um, you know, military auctions and stuff that they would go to to buy stuff. They took us to let us buy. I mean, probably the greatest thing before that, though, is I got to spend two weeks uh, with Lee Sandals, who was the uh, set decorator uh, for Rogue One and for Episode Seven and for Solo. You know, one of the things that they told me is they said, you don't use anything that was made after 1980 because the original films were made pre-1980 and you, you know, if you use parts off a Xerox machine, you find one that was made before 1980. And so we kind of followed that mantra on what we did and tried to stick to that. And it's uh, a great rule for this stuff. That's clever. Yeah, it was really great. And I mean, it was such a privilege to get to work with those guys and, you know, we were, I was with them for two weeks. We basically put together a style guide uh, on the look of Star Wars and how, you know, basically a how to do Star Wars thing. Someday maybe Disney will publish that as a book. That would be a great thing. Uh, that would be really cool. <laughs> I, I feel like you, it, it's weird. Sometimes um, I, I look at the Star Wars look and think it's a pretty easy thing to get your head around. And then other times, maybe it's a little different, but I, I think for the most part, like, you know, there's definitely a cohesiveness to it. And I feel like you really distilled that. And, uh, you know, was it that trip that did that? How much of that did you bring to it ahead of time? Like how much was just inborn for you? Well, I mean, a lot of it was inborn. I mean, a lot of it was my amazing crew. I mean, David Hyde, my my lead fabricator and... And all the guys that, that worked with me, you know, they, they had an, an eye for Star Wars, too. And they also got to visit the set. I mean, I remember we got to, they were building all the full-size speeder bikes for Solo while we were there. And so, you know, all the guys got to really look closely at those speeder bikes and how they were put together and, and really understand how Star Wars was put together. Because, you know, Star Wars can be done really bad, you know. It, it's it's easy to go wrong with it. And uh it's a very delicate line. I mean, it's a it's a world. I can't remember who said this. It may have been Gary Tompkins told me that you know it's a familiar world, but it's it's alien also, and it's familiar because it's made out of stuff that we've seen, but we don't know how these things are made into into the stuff that they use in the Star Wars world. Yeah, there's an accessibility to that having. You know, there's your way in visually is that you know what those parts are there and, and they they look like they have function because they already had function at some point. Now they're doing something new. And that was and I think that's one rule when building Star Wars to make things work is to I mean, to make things believable is to make them look like they work. And that was also a rule we followed with Harry Potter, too, with a lot of the stuff we built for Harry Potter was if we built something, it had to have a story behind it. It had to look like it really did something. And and we followed that same rule with Star Wars. I didn't want to put just some piece of junk out there. I mean, it's funny, the guys, we made this thing one day that we ended up putting behind the Wampa uh, in Dockendars. And the guys said, oh, it's a Wampa dehumidifier. If you've got a lifestyle stuffed Wampa, you've got to keep it dehumidified or it's going to rot. It's like, of course you do. There you go. Jason and Gabe, have you guys been to the Wizarding World at all? Yeah, I have. I don't think Jason has. No, I have I have not, no. Uh-uh. I'm glad you bring it up because I, Jason can attest to this. After I went with my family, and this was maybe, oh, I don't even know it. 
six years ago, eight years ago at this point, I was like, I hope when they do Star Wars Land, they do it as good as Wizarding World. <laughs> because it was really, really amazing. Well, um, uh, how did we do? <laughs> and they did. Star Wars World was even better. So, awesome. But yeah, the Wizarding World was incredible. Just, you know, because for my family, they're more into Harry Potter than than Star Wars. And it was just like, you know, both both sides of it, the train ride, everything was just is incredible. Yeah, I, I'm really proud of that. It's it's it is a great it's a great storytelling piece, and it, you you really get to live the story of Harry. And you know, with Star Wars, we took a, a different approach where you live your own story in the Star Wars world. And uh, but you know, I, I can tell you the the first time we let people into Hogwarts Castle, I and I've told this story a thousand times, but I I stood back in a dark corner in the portrait hall and watched people come in. And there were these two girls that had on robes and their sweaters and their wands and their scarves. And it's 200 degrees outside in Florida. And they walked into the portrait hall and dropped to their knees and wept. And I was like, we did it. Okay, we did it. I didn't know until that moment that we did it. None of us, nobody had ever done anything like that before. And and I was like, we we did it. they, They love it. I, I imagine you have a, a lot of middle-aged men weeping in Star Wars land for the same reason. Read my mind. I, I was headed straight into that. So we had the same thing happen. Galaxy said I was there opening mornings, you know, standing up above, kind of watching things and seeing 50-year-old men like myself drop to their knees and cry in front of the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> I, yeah, a friend of mine just had, had, had not gotten to go there for the longest time. Got to go, and yeah, fifty-four years old. He he went up to the Falcon, and, and the they they had um, someone someone taking him through the park, and they were the, the, uh, they were like, oh, you know, do you want to go see the Falcon? And he's like, yes, but I'm going to warn you, I am a fifty-four-year-old man who might start weeping. And and he said, sure enough, there it was, you know. So you know, for me, the, the Falcon's one of the most amazing things that's ever been built for a theme park. It, it's just such an incredible piece to see that in full size because even on the film set it had supports underneath it it didn't fully support itself you know know, they had pieces that were green screened out so it would support it you know you know walking in there going to work every morning and looking up at that thing you know the first thing every morning while walking to work it was like in my mind i would hear chewy or home I have a question I don't know if you can answer. So I know when they did the uh, the grand opening, they had Chewie in the cockpit at some point. Yeah. yeah so yeah. what is the inside of the Falcon at the parks like? Uh, it's not fully detailed. It's like a lot of things they do. It's detailed the parts that you can see. Uh, so it's not fully detailed out, but it's there. there's a good bit of detail inside there. Um yeah, the cockpit looked pretty detailed from what I saw, at least the direction you can see. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, I know J- Jason and I spent a long time trying to stair up the, the ramp <laughs> into the door at the one night. <laughs> we we like spent way too long trying to see what was inside. Literally last May, Gabe and I were on our knees, on our hands and knees, looking up because we were like the we were looking up the ramp, and we we're like, "How far does it go?" Because you could you could see up the ramp, and we we're like, "There's stuff in there." Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, when you're doing an immersive world like that, you don't want to leave anything to chance. You try not to, anyway, and and you try to put as much detail in everything you do, and and. You know, that was something I learned once again back on Harry Potter. Uh, 
when I was working with Stephanie McMillan, who was the set decorator on the Potter films, the Academy Award winning set decorator, multiple Academy Award winning. And, uh, you know, I was very lucky that she was willing to take me under my, under her wing and kind of teach me about the Harry Potter world. And then I was very lucky that Lee did that on Star Wars. But, you know, she told me that, you know, worlds like this, or she said a real world is very detailed, it's very cluttered, and it's very layered. And that's the way you've got to look at when you're trying to create these worlds, you've got to look at it that way. You've got to build up years and years of, you know, a guy comes in and sits his coffee cup on the table and it stains the tabletop. And, you know, you've got to think about things like that. Uh, you know, I mean, one of the things that was really fun for me and my entire crew was getting to come up with things in the Star Wars universe that you hadn't seen yet, that hadn't been on film. You know, where does a stormtrooper put his helmet when he goes home? You know, <laughs> things like that. I mean, we got to do a lot of stuff uh, that I guess kind of adds to the lore. Uh, you know, one of my favorite things is Sevi's workshop. And if you've ever done it, when you go in, they, they kind of hustle you through and you go right into the show area. But there's a, a room that you go through just before you get into the show area. And that's Sevi's workshop. And there's his desk is there and you know, everything he works with. And if you ever get the time, kind of stop when you're going in and, and take a look at that. Cause that's one of the coolest rooms that we got to do there. It's very small and, you know, very quaint, but, um, you know, there's pieces of stormtrooper armor in there. Um, there's a really, he's got a welding vest that's made out of a, a biker trooper chest plate. You know, there's lots of really cool little bits and pieces we hid in there that are really cool. Love the repurpose thing. I think the, I, you know, when I go through both Potter and uh, uh, Galaxy's Edge, the word that comes to mind is packed perimeter. Like if I had to coin a design, you know, aesthetic or whatever for what you guys did there, it's that, you know, OK, you're in a theme park, so you can't do anything in the main lane, but you've got this perimeter to play with. And you guys loaded that with layers and detail and story and and all of that stuff and i it's just that's that's the thing that always kind of blows my mind you know it's, it's when when people haven't gone i'm like okay well if you go and you walk in a shop don't look at the merchandise look up you know it's like anything that's just over where you can reach eric and his team filled that with with stuff for you to look at so don't miss it and and i mean I on purpose because we want you to see something different every time you come back. We want it to be a new experience. And I mean, and it, I mean, even for me, I go in, I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot about that. I forgot about <laughs> that. Wow. That's cool. You, you want to give people something to see every time they come back. And that's, and if you ever get, unfortunately, you, you know, we're not uh, on video right now. I'd love to show you my office because it's kind of the same way. It's packed to the gills with everything. I can, as much stuff as I can possibly get in it, you know, <laughs> uh, because I want people to, every time they come back to see something new. Yeah. And that, that was one of the greatest things about Galaxy's Edge, which is getting to come up with as much cool stuff as we could. But one of the biggest challenges is, you know, the Star Wars universe, the Star Wars fans have been doing this for almost 50 years now, building this stuff. And to try and do it as good as they do and try and do it even better was a huge challenge for us um, because, I mean, the, I mean, let's face it, I mean, 
everybody, all the fans out there do some amazing work. And, uh, you know, to be able to, you, you don't want to do something that's subpar to what they could do. You know, you want to do it as good as they're doing it or better. At the end of the day, we're all fans too. And I think a lot of, I, I know a bunch of us wound up doing stuff for you as well. Um, and, you know, some of us are fans who have been lucky enough to make it our living and have done, you know, official stuff prior to this. I would imagine there were probably some fans who had never done anything official and that was their first little contribution. I mean, I know on our end, we wound up doing a handful of things. It was not a lot, but it was very special to us and really, really just cool to be involved. So, I mean, I know I've thanked you before, but I'll do it <laughs> once again on air. Thank you. That was you know, super cool. Well, I, I wish we could have done more. I, I mean, if it had not been for somebody making me stop, I would still be there <laughs> adding to that world every day and, and convincing them of that. I'm like, okay, guys, this is a real world. It changes every day. Don't you need me here? To oh, my gosh. Just could you imagine, like, yeah, curating that set? And uh, what a job. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it was uh, – it was an amazing experience for sure. And, I, and I'm glad so many of the fans have accepted it. I was afraid a lot of the fans would be turned off. And some of them are, you know, admittedly some people don't like it. But but uh, I think for the majority, everybody really loves the experience there. We didn't see it until, uh, what, just this spring. And it was so amazing that we almost couldn't appreciate it while we were there because after like 20 minutes, it just kind of felt natural. Like, Oh, I'm just living in star Wars world. Like this is my whole life anyway. Right. Like it just felt like I was home that we like almost couldn't appreciate how incredible it was until later because we were just felt so comfortable being there. Does anybody else have this thing where, so like, I mean, I, I talk to friends sometimes and they're like, you know, we'll, I'll talk about going to a theme park or whatever. And they're just, you know, sometimes it'll be like, oh, well, you know, weird example, but what it's like, oh, you know, I just, I went to Epcot and, you know, whatever. So it's like, well, you know, you could go to like actual France and it's like, yeah, I've been, but like when I go to a, a theme park, there's this weird feeling of like someone designed all of this, someone made all of this. There was such intent and effort behind it. Like there's an appreciation I get of it just from an artistic standpoint that, I don't know why it's, you know, especially when someone's like making a version of a natural thing, you know, it's like, oh, you know, mountains exist. I'm like, yeah, but someone made this one. Like, this is like that big Thunder Mountain, you know? You know, it's funny. You, you mentioned people making things and designing things. On my first trip to England, um, well, actually, this guy had traveled over with us. He was very quiet. I didn't realize. I didn't know who he was. They just said, hey, this is Eric. I said, oh, hey, I'm Eric, too. And, you know, didn't think anything about it. And when we were sitting, meeting with the art department, this guy was sitting there just furiously sketching these beautiful sketches, just one after another. In just seconds, he could crank them out. And later on, I was like, who is this guy? And they're like, oh, that's Eric Tiemann. So I'm like, Eric Tiemann from ILM? Oh, my God. <laughs> that was one of the coolest things in the world, getting to work with him and with Doug Chang. I mean, Doug, Doug came to our shop several times and gosh, that was such a treat. I can't equate it to anything other than my mom probably getting to see Elvis or something, you know, it was, uh, it was amazing. Uh, just amazing getting to work with those guys and have those guys 
critiquing our work, you know, and, and appreciating our work. I mean, it got to a point that no one, they didn't question anything we did. They just said, okay, well, okay yeah, that's perfect. You know, there, were, there, were, there was a point. And the same thing happened with Harry Potter where uh, this level of comfort was built between us and, and the, those guys who who hold the reins to those intellectual properties. And they finally go, you know, okay, these guys get it. Let's just leave them alone. We'll bother, you know, go bother everybody else now. You know, so so doing the type of stuff you guys were doing, the perimeter stuff, the 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 bits and bobs and greeblies and whatever you want to call it around, you know, I know a lot of that just gets informed by whatever you can shop, right? Like you're you're out finding stuff, and then you're like, oh, I can put these two together. But you know, how much specific design was ahead of you on uh, was either sent to you or even done by you and your team? ahead of starting to do this? Or was it just like, we have this space, here's a rough idea of what we want to do, what can we fill it with? Yeah, well, that's, it's funny, I was was heading that way. Um, Basically, we were given concept art from, I guess, the guys at Lucasfilm, or Lucasfilm and Imagineering drew it up together. And so we'd get these pieces of concept art that, and they were like really distant shots, like, uh, like the Toy Darien, for instance, you know, it's like a the beautiful drawing of it, but it's from 50 feet away. And, well, you can see there's a giant Star Destroyer hanging in there. So we would kind of take, we would look at the concept art and pull pieces that we could identify like that, like the Star Destroyer, and build those and then just kind of develop everything else around it. And that was a, another thing. We didn't draw anything i don't see how you can't draw stuff for the star wars world when you're building out of found items you know uh they kind of fit the things fit together and tell you how they fit together kind of as you're doing it and it was funny they called me they were doing the making of galaxy's edge book and they called said hey can you send over some prop drawings so we can put in the book after there's not any i said the only thing that i drew was the sewing droid that's in the costume shop and I don't know if they've ever named him or not. We gave him all kinds of names. We called him K2SO and uh, <laughs> you know, all, all kinds of things, uh, SoBot, things like that, you know. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I so said, we, we drew nothing. You know, there's no drawings. It's like Dave Hyde and, and uh, Randy Vaughn, all the guys that worked on my team, I would come in and they would have this cool piece. And it's like, what can we do with this? And I'd be like, well, what if we put this on it and this on it and and then, you know, suddenly you have this super cool thing. I mean, all the cages for the creature shop, you know, I, I kind of started that out myself because, I mean, all I, I mean, Tom, I know you do a lot of work in your shop and it's hard for me to not just run things. I, I started out as a fabricator and so I have to get my fingers in things every once in a while. So, you know, I just kind of went out and started pulling things out of piles of junk that looked like cages, like, uh, we had a lot of studio stage lights and stuff, old old stage lights from like the 60s and 70s. And, you know, so I started, you know, taking those and making them into animal cages and stuff. And so I made the first, you know, five or six to kind of show the guys what it looks like. And then they took it and ran with it and had a great time. Uh, you know, we would have days in the shop where it's like, okay, for the next two days, we're doing nothing but building cages. And so everybody would build cages and then, you know, for the next two days, we're doing nothing but building tools to go uh, with the land speeders in the mechanic shop. 
And so, you know, we would kind of break it out like that. And, and everybody was, you know, we just let everybody go crazy. And once again, it goes back. It reminds me of, of the old making up films with ILM. And I was, I was watching the industrial light and I mean, watching the light and magic documentary and just thinking, gosh, this was my guys. This was us. We did that. I mean, we were the same. We tried to operate the same way. It was just a bunch of crazy people pulled together and, you know, you, you would walk out in our shop at any given moment and the whole shop would be singing show tunes at the top of their lungs, you know. <laughs> it was just this complete controlled madness, you know. <laughs> you know, so the, one of the things that jumped out, you, you mentioned that that uh, Star Destroyer, that was one of the things that I spotted on one of the tours there that really jumped out at me as being cool. I, I, I'm sure people have been to the shop, have been to the, um, the park, no, have seen it, but what's, what's the backstory of that? The, you know, where did the direction come from on that? And, and yeah, I mean, can you, can you talk a little about it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, the idea came from the concept art and the concept art was just a star destroyer. That's all we could see, which is this giant toy star destroyer hanging in the toy shop in the concept art. We took it into making it, a recreation of the asteroid scene from Empire Strikes Back. So the guys built this beautiful Millennium Falcon and made it a mobile with the the asteroids are, are mobiles. I mean that you know it's a giant mobile and asteroids kind of float around. And so we, we turned it into this uh, giant hanging piece. It's just I mean I got to say it turned out beautiful. I think the the rocks, uh, the asteroids. The funny story behind them is. Uh, Dave Hyde, my lead fabricator, was in his hometown and was walking along a railroad track and saw these rocks on the railroad track, and he picked those up, and those became the asteroids that are uh, with the with the Star Destroyer and the Millennium Falcon. And it's funny, I saw online the other day, they're now, well, it, it blows my mind that they're making toys out of a lot of the stuff that we created. And so they now sell a toy of that Millennium Falcon and I don't know if they did the Star Destroyer. They did the Adat Walker that we did. Uh, and the Adat Walker was the first piece. It was kind of, we did it as an experimental piece that we showed them. You know, we said, this is kind of what we think the Toy Darien would make. And everybody loved it. So we just took it and ran with it. And, and for people who haven't seen it, it's it's essentially like overlapping bits of metal pieced together to almost like found object make the toy yeah it's that it's hundreds of pieces small pieces of aluminum that are nailed together with with tiny little brass tacks that were all i mean thousands of them that were hand nailed i mean it took a couple of months to build those because a lot of that stuff that i mean because we knew we were doing both parts at the same time a lot of that stuff we would build side by side so you know with the with the star destroyer you know, the guys built that, those pieces side by side and the Millennium Falcon side by side. And, and of course, you know, because of safety and stuff in a theme park world, you know, there's an engineered structure underneath it because it has to hang over people's heads. You know, another another fun thing I love is Jabba's sail barge that's in there. And this was long before Haslabs came out with their, with their very beautiful sail barge. That I don't have one yet, but if anybody has one, I, I need one. Uh, I'm right there with you. Yeah, where, where are the fans out there with all of the sail barges? So for us, 
fans of Star Wars that were, you know, back to the original, the toy shop was kind of our way of inserting the original stories into that world. Because, I mean, those stories, if you think about it, probably existed in myth, you know. And this, I'm kind of stealing from, this is the way Dave Hyde described the marionettes of of Ben Kenobi and Darth Vader that he built. He said, you know, he said, people have probably heard the legend of the Sith Lord that fought the Jedi Knight on the Death Star. They don't know their names. They may not know Obi-Wan's name, but they know the story of this. So we kind of took that and ran with it and said, you know, okay, so the, well, then they probably heard the stories of Luke Skywalker and the, and the Sarlacc Pit and Jabba the Hutt. And, you know, I had so much fun with the sail barge because once again, that was something I couldn't keep my hands out of. So I had to, I sculpted the Jabba that's in there and uh, a couple of Jawas, I think. I can't remember. There's three or four different figures that I sculpted myself that are in there just because I had to, you know, I, I just had to get involved in it. And, and a lot of times when you're in, you know, working with big corporations, you get in these mind-numbing meetings that last for hours and hours. So I would sit there and sculpt while I was in meetings just to keep my brain from completely melting, I think. Are you able to talk about where some of the found parts came from? Like, like I'm thinking particularly about like there's a foot that I'm thinking about, and there's there's a the the little toy speeders, like the the little speeder bike kind of toys. Well, I mean, the speeder bikes is is pretty commonly known, I think, among the fans that that, that was completely built out of parts from um, the Latch Motor Action stunt show that was where Galaxy's Edge is now at Hollywood Studios. Uh, so that that one's pretty well known. The foot's one I can't really tell you about. Eventually somebody will figure it out. Uh, and I love, I love watching, you know, I follow a lot of the stuff online and I love watching people trying to figure out what things are and, and a lot of times seeing how wrong they are and, you know, and then a lot of times seeing how close they are. Uh, the 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 foot, I, yeah, I really, I haven't seen anybody that's figured that one out yet. And I'm really waiting to see who, who comes up with the answer to that one. Uh, I, I believe you've just given a mission to the listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody, the, the speeders were all made out of parts from, uh, from Lights Motor Action. And uh, when we were building those uh, was when we visited the solo film set. We were walking through... Uh, the tunnels on Corellia, uh, where, where, you know, Han was living and they had a child sized speeder bike in there. I was like, Oh my God, like, we just built one of these, you know? And it was just so funny that we were that close to paralleling what the film crew was doing without knowing what each other was doing. Was, was there a weirdest found part that you like that jumps out? That's like, oh, I never would have thought we could have used that, but there it is. Oh, holy cow! That's a tough one because I mean, the first year of the project, we spent just gathering for the most part, just gathering parts to build from, and we filled that warehouse that you visited, Tom. And it took us about a year to acquire all of that stuff. In front of the land speeders and also inside of the uh, smuggler's run queue, there's a, a robot that we call Weldbot uh, 
that's uh, kind of a, he looks a little bit like a Treadwell droid. He's got the same eyes and everything of the Treadwell, but he's he's got multiple arms. And all of his arms are made out of armrest off of passenger airline seats. And that, you know, that was just one of those brilliant moments where, where, you know, Dave Hyde, my guys came to me and said, don't you think this kind of looks like an arm when you turn it this way? And it's like, it does. And it's like, run with it. So, you know, they, they made the weld bot out of, uh, you know, using arms off of passenger aircraft seats. Uh, How long were you guys? So you mentioned you shopped for a year or gathered or, you know, <laughs> found weird stuff. How long was the build after that? This is a ton of work. Yeah, we had about three and a half years. And in that three and a half years, we produced roughly 70,000 props for each coast, uh, which is an ungodly amount of work for a crew that was maybe 15 people, you know. I mean, a lot of this stuff, you know, we were fortunate to have awesome vendors uh, like Regal Robot where we could buy things like their Mythosaur skull. Thank you. I'll send the check later. <laughs> One of my policies is always I never try to use anything that's right off the shelf. So we did, you know, modify the Mythosaur that we used a little bit. But, you know, the Mythosaur hanging in Doc and Dars is one of Tom's. And uh, it was a beautiful weathering punch up from your folks uh, to, to give it a unique look. Yeah. With doing both parks at the same time, more or less, how the same are they? Because it seems like everything is so, there's so many layers of things that just look kind of like arbitrarily placed and in, in natural. Did you try to match that at both locations or did it, does each one have a little different feel just because of, of how it was put together? Each one does have a little bit different feel. And the one in Florida probably has a little, a little bit more stuff in it because we had six months longer to work on it. You know, like some things may be turned a different way or something, um, but they're they're very similar. You know, I mean, things like in the in the main uh, the restaurant there, the, uh, Docking Bay Seven, the Docking Bay Seven. Yeah, um, there's a giant. Uh, there's a still on top of one of the pods that's making uh, you know the the brews that you're drinking and. And then on top of one of the other pods is a uh, it was one of my favorite things that we came up with was the the portable carbon freezing chamber. Uh, so if you need to freeze your food as you're traveling from planet to planet, uh, you can do that quickly with your uh, Ronco uh, portable carbon freezing chamber. And and that's stuff that I mean maybe a lot of people haven't noticed, but those are things that are there. There and that's stuff for people to look at and pick up on. Uh, but you know, the carbon freezing was one of my favorite things that we built. It was so much fun, and and the the folks at Lucasfilm loved it when I pitched that idea to them. Everybody thought it was a great thing. How often? Well, I I don't even want to say. I was going to say how how often do you go to the park, and if so, but like. In general, I'm sure you've gone to the park a few times since it's open, maybe more than a few. Do you ever go to the park just to enjoy a day at the theme park? And when you do, do you walk Star Wars Land or Potter? And how how do you experience it at this point? <laughs> well, uh, my wife will tell you um, she hates going to 
the theme parks with me because I'm constantly walking around taking photos going, they've got to fix that. They've got to fix it. Why aren't they taking care of that? (laughs) There's there's such a huge piece of our hearts and everything we did there and such a huge piece of our lives in creating this art. And uh, so, yeah, I'm constantly walking around going, damn it, they need to fix that. (laughs) A checklist. (laughs) One thing I've got to ask about, one of my favorite things at Galaxy's Edge were all the buttons. Buttons on walls, buttons and cues for rides. Gabe can speak to this. I couldn't resist. If I saw a button on the wall, I would try and push. Some of them you could push and some of them you couldn't push. Where, where did you get all those buttons? There were so many red buttons everywhere. I was going crazy. There were, were multiple different vendors that worked on that stuff and, and built that stuff. Um, and, of course, they, you know, as much as possible, it's built to be what we call guest-proof, so it doesn't break after a 1,000 people try to push the button. Uh, <laughs> and that's probably why some of them wouldn't push, because they couldn't figure out a way to make it so it wouldn't break. Uh, but, yeah, there were, there were multiple vendors that made those. I mean, a lot of them were were custom made. Some of them were off the shelf. Um, and, and most of them were Jason proof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He didn't break any of them. I, I didn't see him break any of them. You're the reason he has to go around taking pictures of things to fix. Just admit it. I know. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I was in the, the flight of the Falcon. I think the line was moving forward and I was just standing there like the buttons really push guys. And they're like, okay, come on, Jason, come on. We got to go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everybody everybody does that though. They they all have to push the buttons and pull the levels and 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 that's almost a challenge to us when we're building stuff is to try and make it so it's not gonna break, so it'll hold up because we want everybody to enjoy it. And it's funny, I think it kind of started the Potter fans have been very, very respectful of the Wizarding World. They don't take things, they don't break things, they just kind of enjoy it and i think the star wars fans are the same way with galaxy's edge they've uh you know that you don't see a lot of stuff broken or stolen or you know things like that Um, if you had one thing you could do different in the park uh and we'll stick with just the galaxy's edge one because it's a star wars podcast what what's what's your one thing either a regret or just something you would change or whatever well, I don't have any regrets. I love every bit of it. I mean, one of the things I enjoyed, I, I had so much fun decorating the droid shop. I, I mean, that was one of those really long 24-hour days where we were just in there throwing droid parts everywhere, and it was so much fun. But, I mean, my only only regret is that we couldn't do more. You know, I, I, like I said, eventually somebody says, okay, you've got to stop and go home. Uh, you've got to quit. We're not giving you any more money. Quit, quit. <laughs> you know, they have to do that several times and you go, Oh, okay. I have to stop. That's why you're saying, okay. Just not being able to do more is, is the only regret. I, I wish we could in the four years we had, I wish we could have done more. Because 140,000 props just wasn't enough. Yeah. It wasn't enough. <laughs> you know, who knows? Maybe someday they'll expand or, or let us do more. I mean, I, I surely hope they will. I mean, it's a, I think it's a huge success for them. So I think it's doing very well. If if they ever expand, I I would hope you would be the first person they call. And I, I mean that not just that it would be great for you and that it would be great for Disney if they did that, but it would be great for the fans because what, what you guys 
put together. And, and this extends to your team and obviously everybody involved in this from the top uh, to the Lucasfilm folks, to the Imagineering folks, all the way down to every single vendor. What was achieved there is really magical. It's something that I think has deeply affected a lot of Star Wars fans. And I think um, I think a lot of them owe all of you guys a, a debt of gratitude. And and just uh, I you know hope hope you get a lot of appreciation out of this. I hope that you know people make that clear to you. I you know you're sort of one of the men behind the curtain, so I don't know that. <laughs> It always gets to you, but yeah, I'm, you know, people sure as hell appreciate the work you did there. Well, I mean, that, gosh, that means a lot. That means a whole lot. Um, and it, it was, you know, like I said, it was a huge piece of our heart. We, we enjoyed every second of it and would do it again in a minute. You come in and get to make Star Wars every day. It's like I could not imagine a better world than that. Uh, I mean, a better job than that. It's like, you know, I just kept every, you know, I would constantly have to kick myself and go, they're paying me to do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully one day there'll be more because, I mean, you know, it was one of the best times of my life, absolutely. And, uh, and, you know, just getting to work with everyone, everyone from Lucasfilm, I mean, from Doug Chang through the film, you know, all the way through the film crew and uh, just everybody was a, just such an amazing experience. And, and, you know, my crew that worked with me just, I mean, this is such a stupid cliche thing, but they made magic and uh, they made a lot of miracles too. <laughs> some, of the time, some of the timelines we had, they really created a lot of miracles um, but, but yeah, it was it was a, a special thing, and hopefully we'll get to do more. time I've been interested in trying to get involved with the, the Disneyland theme park and um, for years I you know discussed it with uh, the management of Disney and um, eventually it came about that uh, they accepted my offer to be involved and that um, we would sort of combine ideas I wanted to have a, an involvement in Tomorrowland I thought that was a portion of the park that had always been a little less than what it could have been and um, so they've given me the opportunity to include my characters into that part of the park and try to uh, come up with some new ideas, which is real exciting. It's something it's a little offbeat from what I normally do, but it's uh, a real exciting creative challenge. Attention, please. Star Tours Flight 1119 nonstop service to Endor is now ready for boarding at gate number one. All passengers, please proceed to the boarding area immediately. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. 
So hey everybody, this is Jason. <laughs> we're, we're back. <laughs> if you're listening to this on some sort of uh, Apple something or other, we would love it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it helps more people find the show. And if you listen on Spotify, we'd love it if you leave a five-star review over there too. And make sure you check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com. And you're following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you are a member of the Blast Points Super Chill Group. And we got the Blast Points Army on Patreon, where we got commentaries for Light and Magic, and we got Andor stuff on there, too. Tom, if people don't know, what is, how can people find out more about all the incredible stuff you do? Uh, well, they can go to TomSpinaDesigns.com or follow at TomSpinaDesigns on all the socials, uh, and uh, they can go to RegalRobot.com and... Follow Regal Robot on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all of that fun stuff. We just released our life-size Tuscan Raider bust. Uh, by the time this comes out, you'll probably still have a chance at some, but I'm not sure because they are actually selling pretty quick. Um, and if I'm assuming this is coming out on a Tuesday like usual, uh, hit up Regal Robot. We just released a magnet based on something from the Obi-Wan series that I think is going to catch a lot of people's eye, and it's a nice little... Uh, $30 collectible that um, is really cool and the first thing we've done that's an official Obi-Wan series product so um, look us up stop by say hi and uh, yeah thanks for following along for what we do Eric if people want to learn more about what you do what you've done anything where can people go well first of all um, there's a documentary that Disney did a little documentary called uh, One Day at Disney on Disney Plus right now so if you watch the feature version of it, I'm in that, but I'm also on uh, my own little five-minute documentary. So do One Day at Disney uh, and then scroll down to my name, Eric Baker, and there's a little five-minute documentary on me that was done uh, while we were building Galaxy's Edge. You can also watch episode six of the um, Walt Disney Imagineering documentary on Disney+. Plus. Uh, they actually have footage of us shopping for galaxy's edge uh in england and you know i'm working on lots of really cool new stuff that of course is top secret and i can't tell you about so just keep uh you know keep an eye out and uh, there's gonna be more great stuff coming to you guys soon i hope and uh, i can't thank everyone enough you know for enjoying these worlds that we've created thank you I know, yeah, like we said, for Gabe and I, our first time at Galaxy's Edge was in May, which was a unique experience because we had heard all about it and seen videos on YouTube's and on YouTube, and I think both of us, yeah, like we said, we were just blown, it surpassed our expectations. Like Gabe said, we felt like we were at home. Well, thank you so much. I really, I really appreciate you guys letting me be on the show, and uh, you know, it's great talking to everyone and getting to, you know, kind of tell our story. I was an absolute pleasure having you here, man. I, I, um, it's always fun just getting around, hanging around and talking with you. So, uh, it's nice that we're able to let people in on that. <laughs> this was actually a short one, I think compared to some. Of yes. the <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, all right. Until next week, everyone, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you everybody. Bye. Thanks. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you.
we'll have to do this again and and let Gabe and Jason host the show, maybe Tom. Uh, That's an idea. <laughs> yeah. Or how about this? We start the Spina Baker podcast. <laughs> we'll do our show, have them on, and then we could take a break. You're on. You're so onto us now. We're not going to be able to do this anymore. <laughs> well, come on, come on up anytime. You can hang out here for a bit. We got we got a spare room at the house too. If you need a place to crash, so. Uh, offers offers open and Jason and Gabe if you guys are ever in New York um, I I know plenty of hotels so <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh. may the force be with all of you 